0: Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Snipers. Hi! And election was yesterday. What a mess, man. I voted in. Colorado's different. It's weird. It's early. Um, I went right across the board, man. But ah, what a mess this country is with that stuff. I don't even know how to call it because it's still going on. It's just totally weird shit happening out there right now. So what that means is you got to watch your backs you got to make sure you take care cuz i don't think much is going to change not enough move the needle to change anything i well, we get the house or something republicans have the house but that doesn't guarantee a whole lot um senate might go either way um but yeah what a crazy i'm actually it it convinced me enough like i was bouncing around pre-election those kind of things just before uh, I was on Twitter a little bit. You know, I I use that as kind of like my escape, my mindlessness. I'm going to go look at this, go look at that. And after last night and after kind of what's going on and seeing all that crap, I'm like, man, I have even no interest to kind of even look at it because it's just a, a mindless mess of What the hell's going on out there in the political spectrum? But if you face it, the only place anybody's really making money or doing anything is jump into politics. Man, if you want to kind of get out of your job or you're retiring at the thing, I'm telling you, go into politics. That's where you're going to make some bank. That's where some things are going to happen. Even Carl Taylor's doing a little bit of um, uh, running for a small office up there. In Washington, so to me, that's the future. The future's politics, because nothing else is really working for anybody, and not even that politics works for anybody either. But what the hell, anyway? How you guys doing out there? Otherwise, you know the the what are they calling it the red mirage miragey. We use mirage all the time. Um. Anyway, had Lonnie and James out this past weekend. Guys came in on Friday, came over. We had a little bit of dinner. Girl cooked for him all nice, had some stew, and we kind of went over. So, uh, first day, we're uh, going to kind of go over the ELR weekend a little bit with you guys and, and what we did on that ELR weekend. So, first day, uh, overcast conditions-wise. So we go out to the range in the morning. Temperatures are nice, about 45, 50-ish. It's it's cool, but nice. We have a heavy overcast and a little tiny bit of moisture in the air, but it made for perfect spotting conditions. Now, on that first day, the the, the winds came up from like 6 all the way to 18, and I took the guys to about 2,100 yards on the first day. Uh, double-checked a little bit of computers. Uh, definitely computers like we talked about. It's a process, not an event. I mean, just getting those computers to be perfect. And, you know, it's looking at the plus and minus because there's sort of this little window where that'll hit, that'll hit, that won't, and that won't. You know what I mean? Because when you go that far and the angle of the your danger space shrinks, right? Danger space is how much uh, distance, like, you know, how many yards you would still hit the target. So if you go, like, a good way to look at it is go to JBM online. If you go to JBM online and just go to the simplified, trajectory simplified, and then down at the bottom you'll see it'll tell you to put in danger space, right? Click it and it'll show you what the danger space is. The closer you are, the odds are you'll hit the target with you know wrong numbers and things like that. The farther you go, the more precise you have to be because of the way the bullet is falling down. It makes the target smaller in a lot of ways. So you have to be more precise with your dope. It's kind of like when we're shooting the prairie dogs really, really, really far away. I mean, we're shooting the prairie dogs. We, we got a, a a little bit of a town starting. There's about four or five holes over there at like 700 to 800 yards. Well, then you shift over and between 9 and 1,000, there's a bigger town. And just getting that 9 and 1,000 yard line right on some of those dogs, they're so small, shooting them that far away becomes really, 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 really hard. And you'll want to get a little bit closer to the point where their sort of 12-inch body gives you a little bit more in the danger space mode so you don't have to be dead perfect on your dope every time. ELR works in much of that same way because as that round's coming down from being so high in the air, its angle in is so steep, the target appears small, which is why in some cases you will see some of the ELR guys lay that target back, and so it kind of makes it a bigger target because it's sort of laying flat for it as it falls into the, or falls out of the sky and allowing the target to appear bigger to it versus smaller to it, right? Got all that. And- I hit a button and nothing happened. I don't even know what the heck was going on. Anyway, so we had Lonnie and James out there in the first day. So James uh, has a three hundred Norma. He's shooting a tips, and Lonnie's just shooting factory three thirty eight with um the uh three hundred grain bullet. He was in that 2700, 2750 mode, which you see most. He's shooting a factory RPR, and you know it's pretty funny w- w- when I talk about that cuz I talk about the lighter heavier and all that. Well, one of those targets that gave him a hard time. Believe like 1250 guy gets a first round hit. 1500 guy gets a first round hit. The 1225, he struggled a little bit with. Wind was a little bit tricky, target shape was a little different, but the 300s can be really, really weird. But Lonnie had great success with the 300s. So I take him to about uh, 2,100 the first day. Great hits with everybody, even in those bigger wins and conditions. You know, we're doping wins. Uh, I forgot, I think, because he's Lonnie was MOA, James was uh, Mills. And at one point for Lonnie, I know under 2,100, he's using like eighteen. MOA of wind uh, for that first day. So he was running in in that anywhere from, you know, 12 to 18 for wind call for him in MOA. And James was up in the uh, two and a half to three and a half zone uh, for wind. The A tips worked really good. To me, the 300 normal works really good. Um, Totally great cartridge for doing that. Then comes in the second day. So second day, real similar conditions. Uh, temps may be five degrees warmer. Overcast still with a heavy overcast, making for great views on the target. And then our winds were only about four miles an hour. So we were able to stretch it out. We backed up. On the second day, James switched his rifle to a 33XC. He was using some of the cutting-edge bullets, but not the lasers. Now, he had been out with this setup before using um, cutting-edge laser bullets. The lasers did really well. I don't know the exact model bullet he had, but it was a lesser line. And to me, it didn't quite perform as well. He still had a single-digit SD, Everything was good, but downrange, I was seeing a little bit of funky vertical spread with them. Um, And and wind-wise, they just weren't working. It was really weird with them. To me, everything we were seeing and doing was overdoing it with those bullets. And in some cases, like, windage, it overdid it, and then in elevation, it underdid it. So it was like, okay... At the 1825 target, which we back up, my farthest target, I have a really, really... It's on the horizon. And I have a really nice, open, gentle hill in front of it where it sits on the top. And then it sort of falls off in a bit of deflate on the backside. So you want to kind of like in their first shot, be in front of it. You know, almost take a little bit of off your dope. Yeah, what what I would do with guys is line everything up, put everything together, go for that first round hit. And if that doesn't happen and we don't see it with like a simple correction, then we kind of reset it and drop the round in front of it and then look at the numbers, right? Then you start crunching those numbers in terms of, working on his dope, his data, and, and making sure the wind calls good. So with Lonnie, what I was doing, cause his he was using street lock and his street lock was okay. He was anywhere from two to four MOA off, depending on the range of the target. So cleaning it up and trying to clean his timeline, you know, not timeline, but trying to clean his tracks up a little bit. I kind of put us in a place, and for Lonnie, this worked out fantastic. I was able to put Lonnie in front of the plate almost within an MOA really quick, really easy. His data was off just enough, almost like a minute when I got it trued, but if I brought him down two minutes consistently, it like put us right where we wanted it. And so that worked out really well. The same thing wasn't working for James Because the cutting edges were just acting a little weird for me. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're still great. I think you want to get the more expensive ones, the lasers. Because last time we were out here with the lasers, they were phenomenal. And I honestly know these were a lower cost, lesser, whatever they had available. But something just seemed uh, a little weird. Like I dropped that round in front and I got it. I'm like, okay, James, got you right there where you're in front. Give me a .4 up. And you're in it. You're in the center of the plate. Boom, 0.4, center of the plate. And what happens is it drops a minute down. It's like it goes two tenths down and not, you know, and not four tenths up. And it was really, it did that a couple times. And then at the same time, we would do the same thing with windage. All right, give me, give me, you know, four tenths left wind. And it would go twice as far. And it was like, okay, you need four tenths, put two tenths on. And then that would get us the hits, but it was weird that the first day with his loads and with the Norma and the A tips, we—I mean, it was it was what you see, what you get. Go for it, hit. And then with those second day with the thirty-three XC, it was like overdoing it. But Lonnie's stuff was great. I got Lonnie out to twenty-four fifty with a Ruger RPR with factory three-hundred grain ammo. He got four or five hits at that distance and and it, and it was he was able to get some really good hits. Like I said, we had great, great conditions. and um once we got him on, it took him on my range, twenty four fifty was hundred and twenty three MOA for him. Um that was a good centered up hits, and he used about four minutes of wind. Uh, at that particular moment that on that day that we had those guys out there. So, um, yeah, I mean the ELR side of things was just, it worked out really, really well. Managed to give him a, his bucket list. You know, that's what he was looking for. It was funny. He, he cause he was like, Oh, I want to shoot a mile. I want to shoot a mile. He shows up the first day. He's like, you know, line calls me, Hey buddy. Hey buddy. Hey buddy. And it's like, yeah, yeah, Lonnie, what's up? How you doing? What's going on? What are you looking for? And I guess him talking to James, he was like, I just want to shoot the mile. I want to shoot the mile. And James is like, hey, you probably can be able to shoot 2,000. And he's like, you know, hey, do you think you I can shoot 2,000? I'm like, dude, I think I'm going to have you shooting farther. You know, so we were able to bring them back. So like even like the 2,000, I did 2,050, you know. And and then um, the twenty four I did twenty four fifty and that kind of stuff. So I, and like my my mile is seventeen eighty, it's not seventeen sixty, you know. So it it works out really well, um, to give somebody just that little extra over. And the nice thing is is kind of I mean the way, I'm like I've been talking about this with the Chris stuff. So at fifteen hundred yards. There's a nice area of the range, the way the sort of the terrain is. So I'm going to build a lab at 1500, right? That's a good key. Well, 1600, when we were looking at this moving and and alternating our position to go back farther uh, from the firing line, you can hit everything to 1825. But then at that point, you have to back up. And when you back up, there's two areas you could back up. There's sort of one to the left and one to the right. And if you come to the right, you can see most of the targets. The the mile tends to get hidden behind a, a, a hill that's there. And so what I'm going to end up doing is the, the 1825 is perfect. It's like centered up right there. Like I was saying, that hill's in front. If I take the big plate at the mile, I have to move that to the right side of the two trail that brings us up there. And I'll be able to see it. At the same time, if I bring the 1,600 to the right side, because the 1,600, the small plate's visible, the big plate's cut off about an eighth of it on one quarter. If I bring it to the other side, I got full view. If I bring the mile to the other side, I get full view. And then the 1,500. So that means every yard line we move back to, right, you have the 15, 16, 1780, and 1825 that then get extended to where you back up. So that gives you that ability to shoot those targets from one location without having to move. You know, so it works out really, really well. And the areas what we ended up doing, because Lonnie's eighty-three years old, and A while ago when Mike was out there working the range and and when Mike was doing things, we built sort of the jungle gyms out of wood and then the wind came and destroyed all of them and they were dead. Well, those jungle gyms had a flat platform and then had an angled roof simulator platform next to each other. And those were, you know, those don't break. Like the supports break. But when the wind and everything destroyed all that, the platforms didn't break, so they were kind of lying there. So what we did is we brought one of the platforms over. I put it right, and it fit almost dead perfect. I mean, it was like it was almost made for it. It fit right in the bed of the side-by-side, and we were able to use this 8-foot uh, platform. That's It's 8-foot long, and it's three feet wide, you know, the bed length or whatever that bed size is, almost three feet there, and create a shooting bench out of it because Lonnie can't go prone, and we created a shooting bench so all Lonnie's ELR shots were either taking off the steel benches on the firing line Using the technique that Mark and I have done, because Lonnie comes out of Alaska, Lonnie's done that technique a whole bunch of times, we worked Lonnie up on a bench over the years. Lonnie's one of our original students in Alaska. He took the class, he took a PR1 class with a 300 rum and didn't flinch. You know what I mean? Guy's hard as nails. And so, um... Put him on this bench, had him stand up, kept him in shape so can't go prone. And we're able to basically set him up and put those benches there and then shoot those benches uh like that. So it, it worked out perfect. Now James can go prone, and James is able to go prone where we were, but it worked out perfect for Lonnie to, to shoot him standing, and he got fantastic hits at distance. You know what I'm saying? So it it, it was it was just a great, great weekend. We got a lot of good work done. We got a lot of good data created. And like I said, I, I'm a big fan of centering up those hits and then looking at my plus and minuses. You know what I mean? I want that hit centered up. I mean, we're doping the rifles really. And then the guys are getting hits. It's not like they're showing up. Everything's preset. They're ready to go. And we're going to do it like a competition. We're actually working them, doping them a little bit and making sure, you know, we're getting those hits the way we need to. And I just think that worked out really, really well for Lonnie. But getting them centered up and then showing where that window for that target is—I think that's kind of key for for some of you know, especially if you're going to go out there and compete. And one, I mean, from everything I've learned from everybody I've spoken to in the ELR game who do it on the clock for time for prizes and stuff like that, nothing beats doing it for real like simulating the shots and measuring and doing the short-range simulations with the tall targets and things like that, don't give them the same experience as actually going out there and doing it. But then when you're actually going out there and doing it, having the ability to try to be able to fine-tune that data What's my plus? What's my minus? You know what I mean? Where am I going to go over the target? Where am I going to go under the target? And how much room do I have in between based on those size targets at those distances? Because um, that's that's a key element in trying to get those hits. And then you can see, I mean, it's not hard at all, especially in an ELR plate that, that that's that big, to drop one right down behind the plate and not necessarily see it. You know, I mean, you're you're over a mile away. Uh, you're spotting through this stuff. Your depth of fields aren't the same. Yeah, you could do cameras and all that. I honestly, I I need to get the cameras. I don't. I just don't chase those cameras. Uh, the, it, it, every time in the past, um, uh every time in the past that I've played with some of those camera systems, now don't get me wrong, they've gotten so much better today but it's just it's like just another thing to manage it's another thing you're playing with that in my mind distracts from one uh you're shooting but two you're spotting okay you're not using a camera if you're in a comp at least I don't think you are i mean that's the scoring side they score they use the camera to score but in what I've seen is the spotter and the shooter aren't using cameras. So if you're taking away from that spotter's ability to know what he's looking at and to understand what the views look like, then it becomes a lot harder to get those hits. You know what I mean? Because now you're handicapping your spotter by making him dependent on cameras and versus trying to get you on target from that location using a spotting scope. You know what I mean? Maybe the conditions are that bad, mirage, wind, all that, that's just not practical. But at the same time, what are your tips and tricks to um what are your tips and tricks to find a shot you can't see. You know what I mean? Um Uh, I got way texting me. He goes, man, I got to motivate. I'm being useless. Yeah, we're all. We're, but <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, I'll look at the terrain and I, like I said, I want to drop you in front of me. So, I'll look at your dope and I'll say, okay, give me one shot with your data. Let's do the win. Let's do this. Let's do that. Give me a shot. And if you're close and we can see it and everything's good, we're moving on. Give me one shot. Boom, boom, boom. We're doing our best. Here, here, here. A, B, C. We got this mile an hour wind coming from this direction. We're looking at this. We're looking at that. Here's what I'm going to give it. Boom. Fire. Shh. Nothing. Now, what do you do? Right? That's where not depending on some of that technology and using the spotter and having that ability to bring a person in. I mean, like I look at it where if I have it in front of me, if I can put you in front of the plate in most of these cases, like at least on my range, if I could put you in front of the plate, I could see it. So I'm thinking you're either over the plate, behind the plate or in some kind of defilade, right? So I want to get you, so now that's going to be my thing. Well, one, I'm looking at where the wind is, what the wind's doing. I know the wind's going to blow you this far, at least. So where can I bring that into an area that I could see better? On top of where can my elevation that I could see better, and then I can make a correction off of that. So that's kind of that mindset and that mentality. I mean, I've seen, I I used to go, I went to the first early King of Two Mile quite a bit. Um, and I filmed them and I took photographs. I have probably five, 600 pictures of just the King of Two Miles that I've taken over the years. And from there, I watch what these guys do. And I've seen people not see an impact and do the same thing and create a really great group on the frame of a target or be just off in a crevice where it's not splashing as well. But on the camera, they can see it. And the thing is, is what is your reset? What is your kind of like, bring me back to something that's not necessarily that, but I could see, you know? And and that's something that I tend to work on. I tend to talk about Well, let's look at the terrain and where we are and where our window is to engage that target. And then from that window, where the potential for that round to go where we won't see it. So how do I move it from that area to an area I can see it? Because once I see it, I got it. I just got to see it. And from there, I can measure and do all that. And if things are responding, I read 0.5, it goes 0.5. When things are responding, we should be able to believe the bullet and fix that. You know what I mean? And this weekend, it worked out really, really well for Lonnie. He was able to see that stuff, uh, or not see it, but he was able to get on target. And I was able to see his splashes, no problem. And I was able to get him on uh, his twenty four fifty. Got him on in five rounds. You know what I mean? So I think that was pretty darn good. Now we had the wind map; that four miles an hour, the winds were easy. And like I said I had a model and with that I just sort of didn't want to because that's so far away that 1825 if you're if you're two clicks past the plate you won't see it. If you're one click past the plate, you'll catch it on the horizon, which speaking of there was a really cool shot he made. So I think we were like 2155 or something like that. It was like it was almost 2200. And Lonnie took his first shot. He uh, at at that twenty one fifty five. He got like three for three. He got a first round hit, second and and third. He did really well. And the first one just clipped within the top inch of the of the steel. And so we were a little high on that first one. And when he shot, he just caught the top of the steel. Now we're you know almost twenty two hundred yards away. And When the bullet came, because it was on the horizon and the way it was, you saw the splash on it because it was so close to the top and it curled. We had such great conditions. The mirage didn't cover it. There was none. And we saw the hit curl in the dust, you know, and it was really, really cool. But on those horizons, you can catch some of that dust curl. But if you were just one click past that, you saw nothing. So that's why you want it to be in front of that plate as much as possible and not be over it. But you know you're managing vertical spread, you're managing that wind, and then you're looking at what you can see in in your depths of field and the best way to see that. And and it worked out it worked out real well. Learned a lot, was able to get a lot done, and um, y- you know it just it it was it was a great time had by all. Really good shooting, but it. The nice thing for me, it allows me to look at the range and say, okay, when we want to do this with other people, we want to do this more and have it where it's like, go, go, go without, oh, we'll go here. We'll go here. We'll go, you know, it's set up. And so now I know I have to adjust two plates, going to make a lab at 1500 and man, it's just a golden area to play around with ELR and, and. I would always, just for you guys listening out there, going, ooh, let me rub, you know, I would always keep smaller classes or it would have to be a case of paired classes where everybody's like-minded. You can't have somebody who's on even the slightest of a different agenda wanting a farther target or wanting something else. They Everybody's got to be identical. And I mean, because we've had people come down before and then somebody come with them and, and be slightly off and it just doesn't work the same. But as long as everybody's on the same page, oh, it's it, it works out really well. Um, Mutual link supporting each other, spotting and working together, and then looking at these conditions, mapping those conditions. What's my what's my win? What's my angle? And what's going on? So yeah, it just works out good. So all righty, uh, precision rifle expo next week. We will be down there on the weekend. Uh, I have the two cl- sets of classes. I don't know how, where, what, or whatever those classes work. Um, I just come down and they tell me I do one at 10, I do one at 2, and I do one at 9, and I do one at 3. I mean, I don't know. Um, I know they're usually cheap and you sign up, but I don't know the timings and in in that kind of stuff. I mean, because really, like when I go there... I just have to do the two classes a day and that's it. But it doesn't say what time my particular class is held. They sort of coordinate all of us so mine doesn't step on his and this and and yet you can get to all of them without missing one, you know? So I don't know the timings. Uh anyway, so the expo, a lot of new people are signing up. It looks like I see a lot of cards going out on Facebook, so if you want to get in, you want to get on with something, or come down, meet me, see me, do whatever, talk about things. Um, absolutely, you know, come down to the Precision Rifle Expo. It's in was it? It's outside a college station, like Navasota, uh, Triple C Ranch, and it must have moved. or been by Granby, and it's now by Navasota, but it's Navasota, I think. I had mine. It said Granby at one point. But it's Navasota, out by College Station, between College Station and Houston. So I'll be down in that area next week doing that stuff. Um, that's that's kind of a uh, uh, you know where I'm at with that right now. So um, be there Friday, and then Saturday, Sundays the classes and day I'll head home. That, that'll be that kind of stuff. So, cap on that. And then, with the uh, other stuff with Way, he's, he's actually, way just texts me now. He's like, dude, man, I'm, I feel useless. I got to motivate. And I'm like, yeah, I get you. Weather's a little weird right now. We got like 30 mile an hour winds going on, chilly. We're supposed to get some snow tomorrow, tonight, something like that. So, it's really kind of this weird zone where I have to go, I want to go um, do the uh, tuner on the Valkyrie, I want to tune that uh, load in, uh, just take some of that vertical out of it and tune it up. But, I mean, I think it's going to be a really good load for me. It's just the weather had monster winds, and um, I just hadn't brought the Valkyrie out in, in you know, 18-mile-an-hour winds trying to tune the thing would be silly for me. So that ain't happening. Right, right? Right. All right, guys, I'm going to cruise out. Uh, probably be doing some lives lately. So if you go on Sniper's Hide, if you see that red live come up in your app, I'm going to be jumping onto lives and turning that stuff on. So uh, if you want to go in and ask me questions, it has the chat box in the live. You can go and say, hey, show me this. Let me look at that. I want to talk about this. Any of those things when you bounce in. So if you're running the Sniper's Hide app, if you see me in like 5, 6 o'clock in, that in the evenings there and a little red live button comes up, that means we're live in the app on the Hide TV and you'll be able to kind of listen, interact. As well, they are saved and you can go in and watch them later. So if you miss one and you want to go back, go into Hide TV and you can watch those older... Older episodes and people ask a lot of questions and answer different things. And they'll, Hey, what do you think of this? What's your opinion of that? What about here? What about this? Hey, what about that guy? Oh, he's an idiot, you know, that kind of shit. So, um, that's what's going on. All righty, give you a quick little one and get that knocked out. Uh, like I said, just a weird little kind of space. I'm, I'm not, I, other than those guys, I took Monday, Tuesday off. I didn't do a lot. Um, chilled out because I work Saturday and Sunday all day. And, you know, the the first day, Saturday, in the little crispy cold, that little bit of wind and weather, that takes a little bit out of you when you're out there for, you know, 8, 10 hours on the line. We're out there almost, about 8 hours, I guess. We were out uh, doing our little ELR and having some fun. Cool, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Head on over to Sniper's Hide, hop in the forum. Huge discussions going on in the forums. All kinds of things happening. I got Chris blowing me up. a will for new content. I think that'll be good. And we'll be able to go and take care of it next. All right, guys. Cheers.